Welcome to A Feminist in Progress, the podcast that's about to be clear about love. <laughs> I'm your host, Price, and this episode continues our series on all about love, New Visions by Bell Hooks. Today, we're diving into Chapter 1, Clarity, Give Love Words. If you want to support this independently produced podcast, you can give a donation via paypal.me slash feministinprogress or through the GCash details in the episode description. Our confusion about what we mean when we use the word love is the source of our difficulty in loving argues Bell Hooks within the first paragraph of the chapter. She says, If our society had a commonly held understanding of the meaning of love, the act of loving would not be so mystifying. It is this shrouding of love in a mystery that, I believe, made it difficult for me to recognize love and set it apart from something else like mere admiration for someone, or limerence. And here's where I want to go on a tangent for a moment in order to talk about limerence, that feeling so many of us, maybe even myself, have mistaken for love. Writer Julie Wynn defines limerence as Quote, a mental state of profound romantic infatuation, deep obsession, and fantastical longing, end quote. It refers to the exciting feelings you get when you first meet someone, says Eliza Bokin. During this time, we often just want more of that person. More time, more affection, etc. It's an intense emotional arousal that leaves us craving for another person. Often, people refer to this feeling as love at first sight. We often mistake limerence for love because the two can often start the same way, with a dopamine rush. Limerence is short-lived and conditional, while real love is fluid and unconditional. As Bokin explains, quote, love is more steady and grounding, whereas limerence leaves us with that deep feeling of being in the clouds. Love is a deep connection that people developed after knowing one another, experiencing life together, and overcoming challenges together, end quote. So we know what love is not, but we don't quite know what love is. What I've come to learn in life lately is to treat love less as a noun and more as a verb. And Hooks would agree. We would all love better if we used it as a verb, she says. She even cites psychiatrist M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled as an example of love being defined as, quote, the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth, end quote. Peck elaborates, and again I quote, Love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice, 
We do not have the love. We choose the love. End quote. Something else that the book allowed me to unlearn is the idea that love is equal to affection. After all, affection is something we learn early on as infants as a significant act of love. But as we grow up, we don't always learn that. As Hook says, affection is only one ingredient of love. To truly love, we must learn to mix various ingredients. Care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust as well as honest and open communication. Another thing that I had to unlearn, or at least reframe in my mind, is thinking of love as a feeling. Most of us learn early on to think of love as a feeling. When we feel deeply drawn to someone, we connect with them. That is, we invest feelings or emotion in them. Bell Hooks writes, This is known as cathexis, and most of us, as Peck puts it, confuse cathecting with love. So kind of think of it like a catheter. So you know, you're like attaching yourself to someone. And Hooks writes, We all know how often individuals feeling connected to someone through the process of cathecting insist that they love the other person even if they are hurting or neglecting them. Since their feeling is that of cathexis, they insist that what they feel is love. And this is where I, much like Hooks did, want to underscore that love and abuse cannot coexist. If the love is to nurture our and another's spiritual growth, We cannot claim to love if we are hurtful and abusive because abuse and neglect are, by definition, the opposites of nurturance and care. And Hooks points out how, for those who come from dysfunctional families where one is thought they are not okay, where they were shamed, verbally and or physically abused and emotionally neglected, even as they were also being taught to be loved, it is just too threatening to embrace a definition of love that would no longer enable us to see love as present in our families. I've seen my fair share of dysfunctionality growing up, even when, at the same time, I also grew up with affection, care, and support. Yet, Hooks reminds us, care is a dimension of love, but simply giving care does not mean we are loving. I can acknowledge growing up in a caring family of origin, while also being honest that I do not believe that I grew up with exemplary models of love. Because even the very people who are supposed to be these exemplary models of love have their baggage, their own history, and their own scars. Apart from popular culture, what I knew about love when I was growing up by shaped by what I lived with in my formative years. I am now trying to think of love, again, as the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. 
By the way, when Peck uses the term spiritual, he does not mean some religious figure. Instead, he is referring to, quote, that dimension of our core reality where mind, body, and spirit are one. This spiritual growth does not necessarily equate to religious belief. Had I known this definition of love in my 20s, I would have saved myself from emotionally unavailable and wounded men. (sighs) So many of us long for love but lack the courage to take risks. Hoax writes, Even though you're obsessed with the idea of love, the truth is that most of us live relatively decent, somewhat satisfying lives, even if we often feel that love is lacking. In these relationships, we share genuine affection and or care. For most of us, that feels like enough because it is usually a lot more than we received in our families of origin. Undoubtedly, many of us are more comfortable with the notion that love can mean anything to anybody precisely because when we define it with precision and clarity, it brings us face to face with our lacks with terrible alienation. The truth is, far too many people in our culture do not know what love is. And this not knowing feels like a terrible secret, a lack that we have to cover up. End quote. I think what I've learned about love through popular culture is how to adapt to circumstances where love is lacking rather than how to be more loving. I may not have read a lot of self-help books on relationships in my 20s, the only one being he's just not that into you, but I think that if I had, I would have a far worse perception of love. I'd be a worse person, I believe. But now, at the age of 31 and at the stage in my life where I have someone in my life who's teaching me what it means to love and be loved, I am beginning to think of love less as a feeling and more as an action. If we were constantly remembering that love is as love does, we would not use the word in a matter that devalues and degrades its meaning. Hux writes, When we are loving, we openly and honestly express care, affection, responsibility, respect, commitment, and trust. End quote. So if I know that love is an act, not really a feeling, am I somehow in a place where I finally know what I mean when I speak of love? Thanks for joining me in this episode of A Feminist in Progress, where we're exploring bell hooks all about love, new visions. Join me in the next episode where we talk about the book's second chapter, Justice, Childhood Love Lessons. In the meantime, you can support the show through paypal.me slash feministinprogress or the GCash details in the episode description. Follow the podcast on Instagram at feministinprogresspod. Until then, remember, love is about progress, not perfection.